0: Before I do the scripture reading, I just wanted to add that um, it was a real privilege to join in sometimes during the week and work with our youth, and it was a very educational experience, and I recommend this to anyone who's considering being of service in this church. And one of the highlights was I learned how to escape from having my wrist bound together with duct tape. Uh, So, you know, my life has has been changed forever because of that. (laughs) Thank you, youth. Today's scripture is uh, John fourteen sixteen to 27, and I'm reading from ESV. Hear the word of the Lord. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You often open a sermon with a kind of a trite or brief illustration. Or you don't want to move too quickly away from the words of the reading at times. Today one of those days. Listen to verse 16. Jesus speaking to his followers, to you. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The there's four Gospels. Most of you, I hope, know this. It won't be a test. Maybe one day there will be, but I'm not administering it. So, But uh, four Gospels, you know this, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each an account of the life of Jesus, his mission, sacrifice. Great emphasis in every one of the Gospels is placed on uh, the trial, arrest and trial, uh, and crucifixion of jesus christ it, it's much more emphasized than than many of the other events you know that the christmas story finds its way only into two of the gospels uh, so it's not necessarily the things that we emphasize in in our thinking and telling that are emphasized in the gospels themselves three of the gospels are known as synoptic gospels uh, sounds like a an academic type word but it's just a synopsis right like you used to have this now it's all binge viewing so you don't have it anymore how times change. You used to have, remember, you'd watch ER or something like that, and it would say previously on, but they don't do that anymore because now everybody just binge watches. Uh, but the, synops- the synoptic Gospels give a, a synopsis of the life of Jesus. So uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, told with different perspective, different emphases, but, but those, are, those Gospels share something in common. John stands apart, and that's the reading from this morning is from the book of John. John is unique to the other three. We have taken up in our summer series, what we've called the summer series, encountering Jesus. And and when you read the book of John, you will encounter Jesus in a in a particular way. When I was a young Christian, and I, I um I don't know what it was, it was the Holy Spirit that really prompted me to, and probably others at the Baptist Church that told me to read the read the Bible every day. But clearly it was the Holy Spirit that worked effectively in this because a lot of people were being told to read their bible every day and most people didn't do it it's no secret to me me, most of you still don't do it and i'm going to shake my finger at you and say you should but it's only the holy spirit that will work to convict you in that regard if i take up some campaign to make you feel guilty about it then that becomes religion and leads to death not life but if by the power of the holy spirit you actually say i think i should read scripture every day you'll grow as a christian Uh, And one of the first books that I was told to read, and actually, and then again, I remember I became a counselor at the Billy Graham crusade. This was in 1980-something. I was extremely young. Uh, But uh, Billy Graham came into town, was it 86 or something, or 80, what was it? I don't remember. Anyway, um, and... and, uh, and they gave out little booklets, actually. You had to go down, and, and if people came to the front, right? And I, was, I had a badge, counselor, and you were given little booklets. And the booklet contained, basically, how you can come to faith and the Gospel of John to get you started. It's an interesting book to get you started because it's quite, um, it's, it's a very spiritual telling of the life of Jesus. It's not the easiest telling, but in some ways, it, it does give the, in many ways, it gives the identity of Christ in a very holistic way an interesting note though is that the synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke all have in this chapter at this point in the story matthew mark and luke tell the story differently than john again like in many cases these words of jesus to his followers occur just before his crucifixion And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, just before the crucifixion, on the night before the crucifixion, have what? A narrative, a detailed account of the Last Supper. John doesn't have it. John has the upper room. John places the disciples and Jesus there. But he doesn't go through the events of the Last Supper like Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Instead, you get this extended discourse, Jesus speaking to his followers. So you can see why a a young Christian would be told to read that book in particular. Because in one case, you have just the events, which it's good to know those events. But in another case, or in three cases, you have those events. And in the case of the Gospel of John, you have, here's what Jesus was teaching them at the time. Three chapters of this discourse. You get also the foot washing in the book of John uh, in the upper room, which is told differently than the other books. So three chapters of Jesus speaking to his followers, and then, and then the prayer, Jesus' prayer when he's alone praying to God before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. John chapter 17. And I, I still encourage you, whether you've been a Christian for years or you're not a Christian, read these chapters and read them well and do what we did. Take some time to stay over verses like and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, if you're a Christian and you uh, live by the power of the Holy Spirit, when I read those words, they mean something to you. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. These things I've spoken while I'm still with you. Verse 25, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not, your, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These are the last things that Jesus will say before his crucifixion. And in saying these things, he causes alarm and confusion on the part of the disciples. By saying things like, I will not be with you much longer, but I will remain with you. And Judas, and I love in brackets, not Iscariot. Um, but Judas asks, What on earth would it mean that you will be with us or you'll leave us, but you will remain with us? You have the same question today. I trust in Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. I ask Jesus into my heart, but he's not here as he was, but he's with me. What does that mean? This confusion and this alarm on the part of the disciples. He speaks of hope and peace. Why would he speak of peace at such a time as he's speaking about his death and they don't even understand that? The words are beautiful. Peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, conditionally, temporary, fleeting, but I will give you true peace for your life. And then, like a true counselor, pastor, friend, he says, and it's, you know, when you're saying this to somebody and you want them to know it, it's it's you, it's not just instruction. It's, it's prayer, it's direction and hope. Jesus says to his followers, oh, do not let your hearts be troubled. Strong and beautiful words. Jesus says, I'm leaving you, but I won't leave you alone. I'll send you a comforter, an advocate. And by this, Jesus means it's directly and explicitly, Jesus means the Holy Spirit. This is not simply Jesus saying, I will be for you an inspiration and leave you inspired. What can we know of the Spirit? Well, firstly, and if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this in 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 the past. Firstly, about the Holy Spirit, and I, I want you to to try to understand this, and it's easier for Christians than for non-Christians, but that's okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to do this together. So one, you understand it maybe more from experience. Another, you'll listen to um, the description. The first thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus is speaking about a personal entity, not divine energy or divine inspiration. The Holy Spirit is is and remains and in your life acts personally. Now, what's a distinction? An easy distinction to me, for me to make, to keep it quite basic, is if I can watch, uh, whether it's uh, my own child or uh, out on the field or, or watching Pan American games or something or some kind of athletic pursuit and see something and be caught up and be inspired by that, thinking I'll never be able to do that, but it might inspire me to you know, ride my bike harder or something like that. That kind of inspiration that can be an energy. That's a good thing and a positive thing. But that's not a personal energy. When I am inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is like, it, more than like, it is a personal inspiration. One person and another person. Not just an energy. Relational instead of only Inspirational. And and in this, and Jesus speaks directly of the Trinity here, but includes us. That's the interesting thing. If you keep my commands, and in another account, Jesus says toward before his crucifixion as well, keep my commands and my command is this, that you love one another. But I am in the Father and you will be in me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who he's spoken about, but that we are in that relationship as well. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Secondly, the Holy Spirit works that we may see Jesus. This is a fundamental point. I'll uh, conclude with this point as well. But the prime, primary work of the Holy Spirit always is to help us to see Jesus, to help us to see that we are not alone. And thirdly, the person of the Holy Spirit is described by Jesus in these terms. Well, the Greek word that's used in this text and others is the word paraclete. It has been translated comforter, helper, advocate. Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he will send a helper, a paraclete, somebody who's advocating for you. I don't know how many of you have had the occasion to be in court. Um, Hopefully for somebody else, but... You know, I, For me, so far, it's only been for other people. And I've been there in more of the pastoral role, sometimes in, in family court disputes uh, or in criminal court. I've, I've sat um, in, in the, um, the gallery, I suppose. What do you call it? I'm missing the word now. But anyway, uh, in, in support of somebody who is, is facing uh, criminal proceedings. And when you do that, oftentimes, like many kind of official things in, in terms of our culture... There's a lot of waiting involved. So, I'm, you know, can you come with me to court and be there? And you go at a certain time, and then you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting because there's a few other little things. and There's so many proceedings that are like a minute or five minutes or whatever, and you don't know when your, your party is going to come up. And so you're sitting often outside the courtroom, and you, some of you may have experienced this type of thing. If you haven't, you've seen it on TV. So there you go. You've really experienced it through the magic of media. And that is you're sitting with the person that you're kind of just there present for, and then their counsel, their lawyer walks up. And what happens? Right away, up get the, up stands that person and their family or whatever, and they go like this to the lawyer, and the lawyer says, Okay, here's where we are. And they are just listening to this person. And it is so abundantly clear right now that the lawyer has a role and that is to advocate and speak on the, in the place of their client. That's something like the word that's being used here. I will send for you an advocate. And the language of the text opens up that there are two advocates. There, there is Jesus Christ himself and there is the Holy Spirit. And they work together. There's another aspect to this text. It's not as much directly in this text, but it's important, I think, for me to mention. And that is another function of the Holy Spirit. So the advocate, but also conviction in our lives. This is different than simply conscience. And you begin, as you grow as a Christian, to to start to discern the difference between what's simply kind of conscience, like I did a bad thing, I feel terrible, or the Holy Spirit convicting you in particular, in your life. And the way that is helpful for me to understand this conviction is simply to, to have this, these words in my mind, every heart will be measured by. Every heart will be measured by dot, dot, dot. Now, what is every heart measured by in Christian faith? What does Christian faith say? Every heart in the world will be measured by. Simply this. And it's the most terribly challenging measurement you could ever possibly imagine. Not one of you will measure up. Every heart, your heart, will be measured by the love of Christ. How could you ever measure up to the love of Christ? Now, what religion does, bad religion, is it takes external things and replaces the love of Christ with every heart will be measured by, you know, did you play cards? Oh, trust me, the love of Christ is a far harsher measurement. But it's unto life, not death. If I, in my spiritual life, realize my heart is measured by the love of Christ, if you weren't here, I would fall on my knees right now. How could that be? And how can I stand? The Holy Spirit is our advocate but speaks and convicts. This is the difference between empty guilt and conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. Not long ago, Ken Bell and I were driving back to the office here from a conference. Actually, no, I guess it wasn't back to the office because it was on a Saturday. It was a Kathleen Norris uh, event, um, and she's just one of the best writers out there. And she was giving a little writing workshop, and Ken and I were driving uh, back to the North Shore from that event, and we were going along Denman, and I guess they closed, you know, they only had one lane in the bridge going north or whatever, and so Denman was all backed up, clogged right up. And, and you do that thing where you get to the intersection and you hope you can make that light, so you think, okay, is that car moving enough? And if you don't, then you're right in the middle of the intersection and you feel like the worst person in the world. And Ken, it was in Ken's little Honda Fit, and we were, of course, two ministers. We, we never broke any rules of the road or anything. We were fine. But the woman behind us was an absolute wreck in terms of her driving. And she was behind us most of the way up Denman. She would always come in behind and on the two or three intersections and block the intersection. One time she cut off this way. Another time she cut us off in this other way. And we, we were in a relatively good mood, so we didn't you know get mad at her or anything like that. But we did notice. I'm like, what is with this person driving behind us? Then as we get towards uh, Georgia, she literally moves beside us, almost hits the car, squeezes into this tiny space, and then starts to motion. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat, starts to motion to roll down the window. So I roll down the window and she starts, she's going to yell something. I thought, oh, what's going to happen here? And I literally thought, w- w- I don't think we've done anything wrong. And we roll down the window and, and she says, I just want you to know, this is just about the worst I've ever driven. And then she waved and she reversed into behind us into the intersection again. And we did something like you did. The moment was broken. Because there was an interaction between a person and another person. And we laughed. But have you ever had that experience where you do something wrong driving? I know you have. And before you can even do that little wave of sorry or the apology or whatever, it's the wrong person that you've cut off or something and they lay on the horn and they swear at you or something. Whatever it is. It's a little bit, and I know it's kind of fanciful in some ways, but the difference between the conviction and the Holy Spirit and some religious type of condemnation. One brings life. The other leads only to emptiness, to nothing. When I say, Lord God, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, show me shortcomings, show me my failings, God speaks to me through the Holy Spirit in a way that brings life. Conviction, yes, but life. I will ask the Father, and he will send you a helper. Do you see how the word helper and advocate changes from simply one who will help you in your life get what you want, which is what you first think when you hear the word helper, because you think, oh, good, I could use some help. The, hel- the word helper changes to will, will allow you also to consider your own heart and the darkness of your own heart. A true helper. When my life and my heart is measured by the love of Christ, but but when I know this is by the Holy Spirit, I can say what I'm about to say with life. I have been weighed. I have been found wanting. But I trust in God. The Holy Spirit is the second advocate. Jesus is our advocate, remains our advocate. and, And as He told us, Jesus intercedes for us. This is something that you need to know that Jesus intercedes for you with the Father, bringing before God the Father your heart, your concerns, your fears, your worries, but always in a deeper way than just you'll give the ways that that those could be answered, your fears and anxieties. Jesus always goes deeper. Jesus speaks to God for you, but the second advocate, the Holy Spirit, and I like the way Tim Keller put this, the second advocate... Whereas the first advocate, Jesus, speaks to God for you, the Holy Spirit speaks to you for you. See that distinction? Jesus speaks to God for you, the Holy Spirit speaks to you for you, reminding you of what's true. And in the Holy Spirit, when we know the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are given perspective for this life. A bigger picture by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it, towards the end of this reading that we read peace I leave with you when you know the advocate and the helper you will have peace I mean it's, it's, it's a fundamental consideration I would say test but then that gets it all wrong of the presence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is not simply acts of power though that may be true and I think at times we, we settle for an anemic Christian faith with not, no power at all but the fundamental kind of consideration for the presence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, and when you come across someone who you know they live by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the thing that you'll notice most is peace. And that in itself is power. Peace I leave with you. Tim Keller again, who ministers in New York City, uses an example of a cab ride. So you might have to imagine this a bit more uh, because uh, to the people he's speaking to in New York, many of them would take cabs just from, you know, a couple blocks. Not even have a car. He says, if you're taking a cab and you want to give $8 for the fare, it was a short distance, and you give 10 and forget to ask for change, something's going to happen in your mind after that. You're going to have a little minor dilemma. You gave 10 and then... The, the exchange, the verbal exchange is done and you're leaving the cab or something like that. And what do you do? Do you kind of motion back? Hang on a second. I only meant to give you eight. Can you give me a couple dollars? Would you do that? Some people would. A room this size, some of you definitely would. I only meant to give eight. That was enough. I figured out what was enough and I gave enough. Never more than enough. Just enough. Or, Keller says, and I know that it breaks down a bit because some people say rich people are rich because they never give more than enough. But anyway, he said, Imagine you were a multimillionaire and you take that $10 and you give them the 10, you meant to give them 8, and then you realize what could or should happen is that you say, Oh, well, who cares? It's only $2. And off you go. In fact, what he doesn't have in his illustration, though, or what if you're just not as caught up with money that you say, Okay. I gave them too much, but that's all right. Keller uses the example in terms of the Holy Spirit because he says, when you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have a different perspective on everything that happens in your life. I read this morning in the Vancouver Sun, or no, it was on some Vancouver news website, there's a one of the last condominium projects on the waterfront in Falls Creek. Which went up for sale yesterday, I think it was, and people were camped out for a week. In your life, whether it's getting into school, getting a particular job, having things work out in a certain way, what happens if it doesn't work that way? What Keller would say and others is, one of the distinctions of the Holy Spirit is, without the Holy Spirit, there's much more of a sense of that loss. Oh no! I can't know what I intended to have as full life because I missed this condo or this relationship or couldn't have children like like I had always dreamed of, or whatever it might be. Some, some examples might be small, some are big, but Keller says, when you know the presence of the Holy Spirit, you can understand the cab example of saying, I can let go. It's okay. Because there's something bigger going on. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says, just before his crucifixion. J.I. Packer has said, that uh, well the illustration he uses is that the holy spirit operates like a floodlight so if you if you've seen those some beautiful buildings might be in europe some probably some closer to home here but where they're lit up at night and a, and a building's just lit up but you don't see the actual light itself you just see the facade of that building all lit up packer says and i think the illustration breaks down to some in some ways, but it's still helpful, that that's how the Holy Spirit operates, always to help us to see Jesus Christ. Some people would say, and probably the history of a brethren church, like the history of this church or some other churches, maybe the church that the denomination that Packers a part of and others, uh, there's such a lack of emphasis at times on the Holy Spirit that wrongly what people do is say, well the light doesn't matter, all that matters is that, that Jesus is lit up. Well that's not true either because if the light if you don't understand the presence of that light you you can't see what's going on. Holy Spirit is is the person in the trinity father son and holy spirit that operates to help you see Jesus but to but to help you know that the christian life is is a life of power consolation you have comfort in the holy spirit you know how to trust in god because of the holy spirit Hope, you're able to see beauty and goodness and truth because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ultimately is the one who helps you to see the gospel. And I'll remind you what the gospel is. Jesus speaks of it here in this text. I and the Father are one. Trusting in Jesus helps you to know relationship. With God the Father over all, I and the Father are one. And the only way I can know the truth of that statement, and I'm uh, sensitive to the fact that if you don't believe that, it has, well, something less than meaning for sure. But if you know this truth by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father are one. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the world where there is an absence of God. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the world where there is an absence of God. And then this, as we close. This is directly in the text we read. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are told this. God dwells in us. That would be, except for the enlivening and enlightening of the Holy Spirit beyond our comprehension. But I've shared communion with you, not just breaking bread, but times that with many of you I've prayed together, spoken together. I ran into John Ray, who used to go here. You know John Ray, many of you do. And John walks by the church most weekdays, and if I see him, I run out. I literally run out and stop his, interrupt his walk, which he, I don't think he's upset because we wind up chatting and talking. And, and it's not just conversation. It's two people who know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's true communion. And I would say, without arrogance, I would hope that we know in that moment what it means that God dwells in us. I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that uh, these are the words you chose to share with your followers before your arrest and trial and crucifixion, words of comfort and peace. We ask your forgiveness, Heavenly Father, for um, downplaying at times in our history and certainly in our individual faith, for downplaying the presence and role of the Holy Spirit. We have at times thought we could know you, Heavenly Father, that we could know you, Lord Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. And it's not true. Forgive us and open our eyes that we would see that our Christian life is to be more comfort and peace and joy. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.